Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahery, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you, and if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day. What did the death of Jesus accomplish? Did he really die? Who, who raised him from the dead if he died? And how does that even happen? How does that work? What does Jesus' death and resurrection have as a connection to any of us living here in the 21st century? We're going to dive into these questions and and more. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord. For you are truly our, our rock and our redeemer, our author and perfecter. You alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. Oh Lord, would you give your people ears to hear and hearts that rejoice in your truth? Would, would you help me, Lord, rightly declare your good news, your word? Lord, would your people who are listening to this message, whenever, wherever they're listening, Lord, would you help them to listen as an act of worship, connection with you? And would you help them to pray for your church and for, for servants of it, for preachers too, that declare your word, Lord? We pray that you would be glorified in all of this, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are able and willing, would you stand for the reading of the gospel? We are first going to cover the word of reunion, the seventh saying of Jesus from the cross. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Stand if you're able and if it's safe wherever you're at. First, the gospel of Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. That's six hours after sunrise, so about noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now the, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting with verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first 
and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. You may be seated. Well, who makes up such a story, right? And I, I do want to say that every story is, is made up, right? Uh, and told and retold. Well, who made up this story? Well, God made up this story, and he told it because it is actually what he wanted to do, and it's actually what happened. He told of it long before it happened, and he decided in, in God's eternity, God's reality, that it needed to happen. So who made up such a story? The author and perfecter, the Lord, made up this story. Hebrews 12 calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, it is not a man-made story, and we're going to cover that in some different ways today. It's not a man-made story. It's not one that men would make up. Who would make up a story of victory through suffering, of a Messiah king who's supposed to be powerful and dominant, but ends up being a suffering servant on a cross? Who makes up a story uh, of, a, of a dying savior king who then empowers a convicted criminal and thief on the cross? Who makes up a story with such embarrassing details like one of your core members turning you in, Judas, or, or other of your core team like Peter fleeing, caring more about safety than their leader? Who makes up a story? Humans don't make up that kind of story. And there wasn't time to make up a story. There wasn't time to make up a legend as some accuse Christianity of being the Christianity that was passed on was based on early eyewitness accounts, early reporting and eyewitnesses, not just of the core team, but of thousands of people, like the thousands of people who walked by Jesus and saw him crucified, or the hundreds or maybe thousands that declared him to be a king when he entered the city in the first place, or the crowds that saw him go through the sham trial with Pilate. These things were witnessed and then later could not be denied, and that's why so many people were compelled to believe in Jesus. So let's talk about the miracles that were by his death, near his death and caused by his death. The, these miracles that were public and peculiar, but also deeply meaningful. Let's talk about the darkness that descended. We, we maybe have covered this in depth in, in a couple of our previous messages, but the darkness descended. The sun lost its ability to shine, the scripture says, in a way. It, the, there was a cloud of sin and evil and death accumulating upon Jesus. I believe that this is a supernatural miracle, not just a natural event. It, it, it is natural, but it's the spiritual invading the, the natural, the, the spiritual overwhelming our normal material world. And this is real, not symbolic. It is symbolic in a way, but it's real and actual as well. It was attention-getting, obviously, because in the middle of the day, the sun is supposed to shine. This is supposed to be the brightest part of the day. But what we see is a spiritual event, the darkness of our sin, the penalty of it, the power of death, accumulating all on the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And, and people would remember something like this, and it's why within weeks of this event, there are many converting to following Jesus, because he is the explanation of the many, many strange and peculiar things that happen. There are early testimonies to this darkness that we should believe. And the Gospels claim this, 
Not because they're making up some strange story, but because this happened. They wouldn't claim something like this that could be publicly denied if, if it didn't happen. They're claiming this because it did happen and it was compelling evidence to point to that the death on the cross is supernaturally significant. But that wasn't the only miracle. The next one, the veil torn. The veil that's inside the inside of the temple that keeps the holy of holies separates that from the rest of the sanctuary of the temple. This is, this is a, a giant curtain, and this is a, a giant miracle. It's a historical and religious miracle. This curtain separates this special room from the rest of the temple. And, it, and, and the high chief priest was only allowed to go in that Holy of Holies one time, one day a year, right? To make atonement for the, the sins of the people. But now that, that, that giant veil is torn, that giant curtain a size 30 feet high by 30 feet wide, one inch thick of, of woven threads together is torn. And, and the meaning of that is the, 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 the door is open or the veil is, is divided and, and now there is access into God's presence. God's presence is coming out and invading the world. The kingdom of God is rushing out towards us and we are also welcome in. And it would have been dramatic. It was torn from top to bottom, from heavens and down to the earth. And like God is saying, I'm making the way for you to have my presence in your life. And that would have been compelling. It's peculiar and it's meaningful. It's symbolic, but it's actual. And, and this actual tearing would have made some priests ask questions. And it's probably one of the many reasons why many priests converted. Acts 6-7 says that many priests converted to following Jesus. What would be so compelling for priests that had been against Jesus to now follow him? They're looking at these peculiar miracles and saying his death is supernaturally significant. Is this the Messiah? And is the Messiah far greater than what we ever expected? Hebrews 10 tells us that, that we can now draw near to God and, and with a full assurance of faith because Jesus has made access to for us to have God's presence in our lives and for us to be in God's presence. This is what the, the tearing of the veil, the tearing of the curtain symbolizes, a true miracle. That's not the only miracle. The next miracle we'll consider is that the centurion converts. The centurion converts a professional Roman soldier who's made it up through the ranks. He's in charge of the whole crucifixion process. He's probably seen thousands of people die. He knows what death is, right? And he converts. He declares that Jesus is God. He declares that Jesus is righteous. We get different vantage points from different gospels on this centurion converting. And this miracle is different than the darkness miracle or the, the, the veil or the curtain being torn. This is a personal miracle. This is a, is a hardened heart getting softened and changed, right? And personal conversions are real proof. The, 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 the Christian story is that this man became a follower of Jesus for the rest of his days. This, this man... It became somebody who believed that Jesus was Lord and his family and friends would have known about this. And this is declared in the early gospels, the early testimonies. A man paid and trained to praise Caesar as Lord became a man who, even though he didn't know of the resurrection yet, he is saying Christ is righteous and this man was the son of God. That's what Mark's gospel says he said. And he, he praises God according to the gospel of Luke. As Philip Ryken writes, he says, the conversion of the centurion was the greatest miracle at the cross because the conversion of the centurion shows that God can turn his enemies into friends and bring the hardest sinners from darkness into everlasting light. There's good news 
right there. God is changing hearts, even before they know of the, the glorious resurrection that is to come. So we see in these miracles, we see public miracles that happen out in front of everybody that are verifiable, that are causing people to ask questions and say, who is this Jesus, right? And we see also, if we look back in ancient history, we see that the opponents of Christianity never denied, in their arguments against Christianity, never denied these type of things that Christians were boldly claiming happened, right? And you don't boldly claim something happened if you know that everybody can say, that didn't happen. There were thousands of us there. That didn't happen. But Christians unashamedly declared these things because they were publicly witnessed, verifiable, and they did happen. But even, even so, we now are 2,000 years later, or, or, or for a person back then who didn't live in the area, didn't see these things, you, you're still, you still need faith. Even, even if you were there, you would still have to have faith to, to believe and connect the pieces that Jesus is God and is the one that can save you. So faith is still required, right? Faith is still required. We still ask questions and and we still have to believe that Jesus is the answer, that God is the answer. Well, Jesus is the one who demonstrates to us what faith or allegiance is. And that's the, the seventh word on the cross, that's how I see it, is it's Jesus demonstrating to us a perfect lesson of faith, or what I'll call allegiance, deep trust. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? He is trusting his life, his future to God. He knows he is about to breathe his last. He's using his last bit of earthly energy before he dies and earthly death to loudly declare his faith, his trust, his allegiance to God the Father. And though he is experiencing the experience of being forsaken, and though the Father has intentionally not come to his rescue, he still believes in and knows that the Father is good. He knows the Father's goodness and love, and he is entrusting himself into the Father's hands. In his last words, in his last breath, he has faith, he has commitment, he has allegiance. This is our Savior, and this is our perfect example. And one day you will have your final breath. And let him be your example, that no matter what caused it, whether it was cancer or, or, or natural aging or you're dying from an accident, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but I know we will all have our last breath one day. May we have allegiance now so that when those dark, difficult challenges come, we can still believe God is good and into his hands I commit my spirit and I have nothing to fear. God is good. I trust God no matter what. Jesus did this. And did he breathe his last Yes, he still died. Did he really die? Did he really die? Yes, everyone serious says he died. Even atheist historians believe he died. And everyone obviously does die, right? Save for a couple examples in biblical history, every human being dies. And multiple historical sources say that Jesus died by crucifixion. It's not really up for debate. So if that's the case, then we have to say, as, as many have, 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 have questioned over the centuries, well, wait a second, if their leader died, then what accounts for his future movement? How can these grieving people uh, who weren't the leaders and, and, and weren't well-financed and all that, how can they start a movement that starts spreading throughout the world? Okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit, so we need to back up to his death and ask, well, what first did his death 
accomplish? What did the death of Jesus accomplish? Because his death is significant. And we've been considering this in our sermon series, Words That Matter, as we consider Jesus' words from the cross. You can check out the previous messages online. You can go to PlusChurch.org or our podcast or our YouTube channel, whatever. We, we considered it in depth last week with the, the word from the cross. It is finished, right? His death accomplished a lot, right? It's far from his final act. We know there is good things to come. But his death, his death accomplished this great demonstration of God's love for us, that God is real and his love is real. He has a deep love for humanity, deep enough that he would die for us. God uses himself to offer us what can mend us. His love, his forgiveness, freely given to us. God, he, he completes a victory. He, he is defeating evil and death. He takes the powers of evil and death on himself personally, and he robs evil of its power and its future, and he takes the sting of death away. And so the death of Jesus, we believe, really and truly accomplishes these things in real time, in real history, and for eternity. Now, God's victory is still ongoing. God's victory is not complete with the next act, the, the resurrection. So I'd ask you again, wherever you are, if it's safe and you're able to stand for the reading of the gospel, we're going to hear from the gospel of Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wow. What a beautiful retelling of what, if, what had happened. And to get the full account, you read all four Gospels and, and hear that, that it's clear that, that Jesus raised from the dead. So the question is, who raised Jesus from the dead? How does someone raise from the dead? Who did it? Well, this, the, the simple answer is God, right? God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Son of God uh, died a true human death, but the Spirit of God who is one with the Father, just like the Son is one with the Father. The Spirit of God raised the Son of God to new life. And death and sin and all of that stuff stayed in the place of death. And God is the one who brings life into existence. And here he brought the Son of God back to life. Romans 8, 10 and 11 says this, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit who, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
Man, that section tells us a lot that we could do a sermon just on that, but it tells us that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead, and when we give allegiance or faith to Jesus, we have the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living in us, right? This Spirit is available to us by faith, by relationship uh, with Jesus. Keep that in mind, right? Believe that. So, so how does that happen? How does God bring back Jesus to life? How does that even happen? The, the simple answer to that is, I don't know. I'm not God. How does life even start, right? How, how does gravity completely work? Why don't the scientists understand dark matter yet? I could start asking a lot of questions. Where does a prayer start from? Does it start from my mind or, or from God's heart? Where does a prayer go to when I pray? Does it go out in the universe? or, or you know, Where does it go? How, how does God know so much all at once and yet know me so deeply and personally and, and know others so many so personally? How does a person go to heaven? How does that, the biology of that work? I, I don't know. Where does heaven end and begin? Am I close to heaven? Right? How so? There are so many things that are deep questions, and I, and I have thoughts about all of those questions, but my point is just because we have questions and we have things that we can't or don't understand, that doesn't make the, the, the subject we're considering untrue. Some things are simply beyond our understanding. We cannot grasp them. So, some of the suffering in this world and why God allows it and why that happens, we can't understand it. We, there are some things we can't understand. There are many things we don't know, but God is good and God can bring to life. God is the source of all life, and he made it happen. So there are many things I don't know, but I can go to a chapter of scripture like 1 Corinthians 15, a great chapter that teaches deeply about the resurrection. I encourage you to read it sometime this week. And in it, Paul gives an image that we, our bodies, are now seeds, and they are seed, and they need to die to what they are now to become what God wants them to become to become our resurrected bodies, our eternal bodies. You know, a seed is amazing. It's tiny compared to the plant it will become, right? But it has all the information in it. It just needs to, to die in the right place, right? It needs to die in the right place in the soil and get the right moisture, and then it becomes what it was destined to become, to, to, to become the plant that it has the potential to become, right? And, and we know naturally how a seed does that, but but when we take it to the spiritual dimension and the human identity and that we were made in the image of God, it's, 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 it's far more than we can understand, but God knows how to do it. So I do know this, that there is a eternal being, God, behind all of existence. And I know nothing better than a God who both allows us the freedom to live and to have real choices and to love, but also was a God who surrendered his freedom and died for us in order to cover over and mend what was broken with us, right? So that we could truly and really experience and freely experience the truest love. And if that God that gives us freedom but also rescues us and surrenders his freedom for us, right? If that God is real, like I'm saying, and exists and is in charge, and I believe that is the case, then I also believe that death is temporary and God can overcome it and, and death cannot hold God. Though it is real, it is temporary and, and the grave could not keep God down because God's life and love is more powerful than death itself. And if you have that same spirit in you, as the scriptures say, then you too will have access to the life and the love of God that is more powerful than death. 
Acts 2, 23 and 24 puts it this way. He was delivered up by God's set plan and foreknowledge. And you by the hands, and, and, excuse me, he was delivered up by God's set plan and foreknowledge. And you by the hands of the lawless put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, releasing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its clutches. It was impossible for him to be held in its clutches. The bigger question is not how did God raise him from the dead, but how good is a God that would die for us in the first place? But death cannot keep him, right? So if the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus truly happened, then I believe that the best life possible is to give our total allegiance to this God, to this Lord Jesus. So why does Jesus' death and resurrection have any connection to our lives in the 21st century? Isn't it just some ancient, dusty belief from 2,000 years ago? It gets more and more magnificent, right, uh, as we go on, because we're finding that his plan is even greater as we see, as we go throughout the ages, that he died for more and more sin than we ever realized, right? So we need the, this old good news. We, you know, our, our human beings, we, we buy into our ways of salvation, our little towers of Babel, right? We, 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 we believe in our new ways of thinking, and whether it's new ways to identify ourselves or our algorithms, our technologies, our social medias, our, our cures, our medicines, you know? And, and all these things, can, some of these things can be good, right? And some of these things have the appearance of advancing, but they cannot be our rescue. They cannot forgive our souls. They, they cannot lead us out of death. They cannot teach us what ultimate love is. And so while human beings are busy doing what the ancients did, we are still building our towers of babbles all over the place, thinking that we can determine what life is and how to reach our heavenly places on our own, right? We think we can replace God or make God irrelevant. But the truth is we need God. Our need is so deep. We needed God in the flesh. God born to us. God who went to the cross for us. God who was dead in the tomb for us. God who was raised on the third day. These are the timeless, powerful realities, the truth that we need. That God is real and that Christ made the real way for us to connect with God eternal. Romans 6, 4 through 11 says this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You need his death and resurrection, and your life needs to be connected to him so that you can become what you were really destined to become. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Ooh, that is good news, friends. His life Death and resurrection is connected to ours and we are, can be made new and have our new and eternal life. And we can have power that he gives us. Philippians 3.10 says, uh, I want to know the 
know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death. That the way to have true power in this life is to connect by relationship to Jesus. And we can experience the same spirit who raised him from the dead. We can have the power of his resurrection. We can have fellowship with him in his sufferings. Or Colossians 2.12, Paul writes, And having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So this 2,000-year-old event, when we believe in it, when we give allegiance to the Lord who died, it, it, it gives God's power, God's spirit in us. Right? Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the future ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace, demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Friends, we are living in the future according to when Paul wrote that. And we are seeing the surpassing riches of the goodness, the free goodness of Jesus Christ, right? We now live in a vantage point of history where we can see what is happening. We shouldn't use this vantage point of history to say, oh, we don't need what happened 2,000 years ago. We should see it as e even greater than we ever realized, right? The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus truly happened. And I believe the best possible life here and now in the 21st century is to give our total allegiance to Jesus Christ, the God who became flesh, the God who really died on the cross, the God who was really raised. And when we have allegiance to Jesus, we are in tune with the song of eternity, the heart of God. We are being who God made us to be, having his presence in us, alive anew having his power with us. And God longs for that. That's who God is. God is a God of relationship that longs to have people made whole. And God will not, not don't worry, God's not going to be unfair to one single soul on earth. I know skeptics raise that question, but what about this? What about people of other religions? God's got it covered. He knows everybody personally. And God is working his plan to his conclusion, and he will not be unfair to one single person. He longs for all to be rescued and be made whole. And God is working his plan now, and he's simply calling people to live in that plan now, to live in God's reality now, to live in God's kingdom for now. So what will it be for you? You can ask the other questions, and you can try to make your life about your Towers of Babels, or you can say, I want to live for Jesus Christ. Will you live to honor Jesus? Have you given your full allegiance to Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you're a churchgoer. I'm asking, have you given your full allegiance to Jesus Christ? Or is there something that you believe in more? Someone, a, a politician or a way of life or material things that, that has more of your time, more of your trust, more of your soul. But can it really do what your soul needs? Can it do what Jesus Christ has already done for you? Does it control the future? Who should you give your allegiance to but the one who knows everything you've done, knows what's best for you now, and can control your eternal future? Friends, give your allegiance to him. May you be amazed at the real God. 
the God who made our reality, the God who is not artificial, but the God who became a real human being, the God who was inside of Mary's womb, the God who learned how to swing a hammer, but also was the God who had nails hammered into his wrist, the God who did what we could not do. He lived a perfect life, the God who bore our sin on the cross to the point where it says he became sin for us, the God who truly experienced death in order to defeat our enemies and to open us open up to us his reality that God created us to have his spirit living in us now be amazed at the God whose love is stronger than death itself and this is no mere story this is the story and the author is God and God wants you in the story forever and he wants you to live deeply in that story now sharing with others the truth and the goodness and the love of a life with God. So friends, today, commit your spirit, yourself, your whole identity into the hands of the one who made you. Just like Jesus said, right? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Commit yourself into the hands of the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who did everything possible to have you living in his eternal kingdom now and forever. Oh, Lord God, help us to be in awe of you and to have true allegiance to you. Lord, if there are any here who, whether it's for the first time or, or maybe they, they also just need to recommit themselves to you, I I want to offer this prayer, Lord, and I ask that your Holy Spirit could really inhabit this prayer, that this wouldn't be some empty religious exercise. So if you want to pray, folks, if, if you're out there and you're, you're sensing that you really need to pray a prayer of allegiance to Jesus, just say, Father, into your hands, I commit my whole spirit. Jesus, into your kingdom, I give my whole self. Thank you, Jesus. You gave your whole self for us to make us whole. We give ourselves to you. Thank you for your love. Amen. Thank you for listening to that message from our series, Words That Matter. In this season of Lent 2023, we have other resources available to bless you and deepen your faith. Uh, we gather for Bible studies throughout the week. Check out PalouseChurch.org for our schedules. Uh, check out uh, the Bible app where many of us do reading plans together uh, focused on what we're learning in this season. You can also join us for soup suppers Wednesday night in person, 6.30 p.m. at the church where we are reflecting and, and listening to people share about the words that, that Jesus said from the cross. We also have Nights of Peace on Thursday nights during this season at Holy, the Holy Trinity Chapel in Palouse, where you can be, be with the Lord in just a quiet time. Uh, and that's anytime from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Thursday nights. So there's lots of resources. Check us, check us out on youtube.com or the Bible app if you're not uh, a friend of me or uh, our church on there. Check that out just so that you can connect with some resources that bless you if you're tuning into this series. Again, thank you for listening, and we do pray that the Lord blesses you and your time in the Word.